Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Let's get to this this morning. I, you know, as you, uh, as you read through the four Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus, probably the most common adjective that, that is used by people who actually were able to witness the ministry of Jesus, as we read in His Word, is the word amazed or amazing. You, you read it, you find it over and over. I mean, people were just completely amazed at what Jesus had to say because it was so completely foreign, foreign and, and kind of backwards to what they were used to thinking. And in Matthew, the seventh chapter, Jesus, he's starting to wrap up what has become the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And when we go to the Holy Land, right there, we'll be standing up on, on top of that hillside where Jesus uh, gave this incredible sermon to the multitude that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, I want to focus. Th- th- by the way, my, my sermon's only eight pages of my type notes. Usually it's like 10 to 11. So, you know, I, that, you, you might get out a little early. Does that, does that upset anyone? But maybe you won't, because I tend to talk faster the more amens I get. If, if I don't hear anything, I get depressed and I start to talk real slow. <laughs> so I'm just, just letting you know. It's really kind of up to you. So I want to focus on two portions of Scripture this morning. The 12th verse there in Matthew chapter 7, and then verses 24 through 27. But the... Matthew 7, 12, you've heard this. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this many times in your life. It says, so in everything, that's pretty powerful right there. What did it say? So in what? Everything. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We have a little catchphrase for that verse. What is it? Thank you, Gary. The golden rule. And I I also want to include uh, in this uh, message today some of the very last words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's in uh, verses 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And here's the part I I want you to really notice for this morning's message. You know, wouldn't you know at the very end of of, uh, chapter 7 here, Matthew wraps up his very own personal account of this great teaching with this description of the multitude that had gathered. He, He wraps it up by saying, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So this morning, I want us to spend a little time talking about this golden rule 
which is that's a name that we have kind of dubbed this very famous verse of Scripture. Nowhere in God's Word do you find the golden rule. And this golden rule is actually, it's not uh, totally unique to Christianity alone. Many other religions have kind of grabbed onto that. But I think there's something very unique about this verse of Scripture, this golden rule, as Jesus stated it, that makes Christianity's version of it rise up well above all the others. Because you'll actually find this verse uh, in, in Judaism, in Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism. You don't find it in the Muslim religion. They're still sticking with the do unto others before they do unto you. That's kind of how they roll. But you might ask, well, what's the difference in Jesus' version and all these other religions that have kind of stolen that verse? In all the other versions, the golden rule is stated in the negative while Jesus states it in the positive. And We'll talk about that. The negative form would be an appeal of laws to control us. The positive form is an appeal for love to help us grow. You notice in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the law, you know, the law that on, uh, of Moses, what we call the Ten Commandments, they could have been called the Ten Laws the Ten Commandments, they are mostly stated in the negative. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. It, it was an appeal to control the sinful uh, kind of runaway nature of mankind and try to keep uh, human civil civilization from just total corruption. And there were some very, very tough penalties for breaking those laws, right? Then notice... When Jesus comes, He promises us this new covenant of grace. Not a covenant of law, it's a covenant of grace. When He states that, uh, He states the law under this new covenant of grace, He does it in a positive rather than a negative. He says, instead of saying, thou shalt not do something, He says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with uh, and all your soul, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. He said that. And he said, this fulfills the law. So, how does this difference really kind of come about? By faith in Jesus, who changes our hearts, he changes the soul of man so that it is possible for us to do in grace what we were not doing under the law. And here's, here's my main point today. Jesus' uh, teaching on this golden rule, it goes way beyond any other religious teachings because instead of trying to use these words to reduce your or our negative behavior, it encourages positive behavior that is motivated by God's love for us. That's the difference. And I think that probably uh, to fully understand this, it is, it's, it's paramount that you understand one very, very unique thing about Christianity as compared to any other religion in the world. Christianity is the only religious experience that begins its work from the inside out. Does that make sense? 
You know, the first thing that happens when someone accepts Jesus into, into their life is He changes, begins to change our heart. The things that motivate us to do the things that we do. Something happens internally right off the bat. But in all other religions, a person has to absorb all of these external teachings and perform these various religious practices and duties. And there's a, the list is usually pretty long. And all of these things have to be done before they can attain any level of acceptance or status within that religion. Not so in the kingdom of God. Who says amen for that? The moment you accept Jesus, He comes into your heart, and immediately, I mean, you are just as saved as Billy Graham was. You are a joint heir in Christ. And your share of the inheritance that God has for us, it's the same as the Apostle Paul's. It's the same. Man, that's a big deal, isn't it? Now, you may not be as spiritually mature as, as those who have been in the faith for many years. Hey, we've got some real solid pillars of the kingdom in this church body. People that have been serving God for years and years and years. And I tell you, a lot of times if you've got questions, you ought to seek counsel from some of the seniors in our church because we've got a bunch of incredible seniors in our church. They've been around a long time. They've learned a lot of things. And they can help save you a lot of grief if you'll access that resource. Amen? Well, it's all about... I lost my... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. As soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, all of the benefits and rewards of living for Jesus are immediately ours. Why is that? It's because of God's grace. It's not because we deserve any of it, right? See, and, and what, that, what that talks about is, and some people get jealous about this, but hey, I, I say praise God. I say some people who have served God and sacrificed for the kingdom for years and years, when they pass on, they get their inheritance. As opposed to someone who accepted Christ literally on their deathbed. And they pass on into eternity, they get the same inheritance. That shouldn't bug you. You should be thankful that God in His grace is offering that to all of us. I guarantee you this, the person that spent their life serving God, boy, they, they had a lot less grief and pain and sorrow to deal with along the way. So it's not like it goes unrewarded. It's all about God's love for us. The Bible tells us that God is what? He is love. He is the very definition of love. And so in this golden rule, Jesus makes this declaration of God's grace in our life. As Jesus is about to deliver this golden rule, He frames it what he's about to say by stating that this new rule is going to apply to everything. We don't get to pick and choose, but so often we do. How many of us have ever been guilty of the do unto others before they do unto you? Six of you. See, the rest of you are all a bunch of liars. I'm going to preach on that <laughs> next week. Just three of you submitted it. 
So in everything, he says, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. So let me rephrase the question. How many of you have ever been guilty of not doing that? I got a lot more honest people on that one. There have been plenty of times, probably in all of our lives, where we did something to someone we were glad it didn't happen to us. And this, this golden rule, it very beautifully demonstrates the law of grace because it makes no exceptions to the rule. It makes no exceptions. Unlike society that has uh, drastically changed the rule, you know, to the do unto others before they do unto you. Do unto others if they are first nice to you. Well, I'll be nice to this person if they're nice to me. I'll leave a tip if this waiter or waitress really does a job. I'll do unto others, you know, if they really deserve it. Oh, man. I've said it many times. Don't ever pray, Lord, I just want you to give me what I deserve. That is such a stupid, stupid prayer. Don't ever be dumb enough to pray, Lord, you just give me what I deserve and, and I'll be good. No, you're going to be bad. It's going to be very, very bad. Grace has to operate in every part of our life. Amen? Now, some people might say, you know, the thing is, there's a lot of people out there who just absolutely do not deserve grace. And you are, actually, it is very true. I heard someone say that's untrue. No, 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 no. It's very true. There's a ton of people out there running around out there who do not deserve grace. You know who those people are? Yeah, all of us. All of us. I know one of you was like, yeah, that guy right over there, man. I'm telling you right now, it's him. I'm telling you right now, it's all of us. None of us deserve God's grace. We're all unworthy. That's why it's called grace. Grace, by definition, is undeserved favor. I tell you, there's not one of us, when we ask Jesus to just forgive us of all the bad things we done that we had done, that we deserved that forgiveness. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyway. Aren't you thankful for that? We all know those people who absolutely don't deserve grace. We know who, we, we've seen them. We've got them in our life. There's really two different groups of people that fall into that category. The unsaved and the saved. Right? Those are the two groups that really don't deserve it. Neither bunch deserves it, but the huge difference between them is that one bunch has accepted it by faith and the other just hasn't. That's the only difference between the two groups. The thing about grace, this is the part that makes people nervous about living with grace in our life, is that a lot of times, almost all the time, it puts us at risk. Grace puts at risk the person who is doling it out rather than the one who is receiving it, right? Right? If you're giving out grace, you're, that means you're doing something to someone that they don't deserve. And we feel, see, that scares us. We don't like to, you know, give something to someone when they don't deserve it. 
But when we do it, we, we place ourselves at risk because we think we're going to come out on the short end of the stick. When the truth is, when we operate in grace, I tell you, God's blessings just operate so powerfully in our life because we are pleasing Him. We're pleasing. Don't ever worry about, well, I'm not going to do this for this person. They don't deserve it. Do it because the blessing you receive is going to be so much greater. That's why you do it. Because you're being obedient to God. You're offering grace. You're extending grace when people don't deserve All we're doing is we are trying to live Christ-like because he demonstrated that to us. So Jesus extends his perfect grace to us. We received redemption. He was beaten and nailed to a cross. Is there anything fair about that? Man, but how many of you are thankful for it? He operated in grace. He put himself at risk, right? We received this great, this great love and this great forgiveness. Why? Because he put himself at risk. He operated in grace. He got beaten and nailed to a cross. But that wasn't the end of the story, right? The victory was so much greater. Victory is always greater than what we may feel is a defeat in our life. If we operate in the will of God and we operate in grace, the victory is always going to be greater than our perceived defeat. So don't worry about putting yourself at risk. All you're doing, you're not putting yourself at risk when you offer grace to people. What you're doing is you are positioning yourself for great blessing in your life. And if you'll just get that into your mode of thinking, it's not going to be near as scary to be a person of grace instead of a person of law where they don't deserve it. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're familiar with that portion, portion of Scripture. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, He makes absolutely no exception to this rule of grace, right? He died for everybody. He died for us. Because we deserve it, right? He died for Muslim terrorists. Well, we have a lot tougher time accepting that one, don't we? The fact is, he did. That's why it is so tragic when people refuse to allow Christ to come in their life and save them. That's a very tragic thing because we know he will never turn anyone away. No matter what anyone has done in their past, if they come to Jesus, he's waiting there with open arms. Why? Because he is the definition of grace. He is grace in operation. God grants us his grace even when we don't deserve it. How can anyone refuse the love and grace of an almighty God like that, right? There's a, a lot of people who know all about Jesus. They might even know a whole lot about what the Bible says. But Jesus is saying that doesn't make any difference if you're not putting His Word to work in your life. It's important to know it, but it's even more important to do it. Because there's a lot of people who know it that just refuse to do it. He says the foolish man, he hears the words of Jesus, he just doesn't practice it. 
The wise man, he hears the words of God and he obeys. That's building on a rock versus building on sand, right? Very important that you build your life on rock. Storms in life are going to come to everybody. They're going to come to the unbeliever. They're even going to come to the believer. Every man and woman is going to face storms in this life. It is just, it is a part of this life, isn't it? But as Christians, we have the promise that we're never going to get washed away in the midst of a storm because our foundation has been built on God the Father, on the rock, unchanging. So the golden rule has to become more in our lives than just this little you know, tidbit of ancient wisdom, which is how some people view it. It has to become an everyday part of our life. And how often do we blow that? How often do we not do unto others as we would like for them to do unto us? Just think about it. How often do we break it? It's an absolute necessity because God's Word makes its greatest impact on others when they see it in our lives, not just hear us talk about it. Did you catch that? God's Word makes its greatest impact in the world around us when people see it operating in our lives rather than just hear us yap about it. They need to see it. I came, this is an, a great illustration I came across. The, this young woman was about to be married. She was out shopping for fabric to have her wedding dress made. And so she's in this fabric store, and she made a very, very unusual request. She asked the gal, what type of fabric do you have, like I'm looking for, that is the absolute noisiest fabric there could be, that when I'm walking down that aisle, it's just... And the gal looked at her like she was crazy, you know? She says, what? She says, yeah, I want the noisiest material you can possibly find. So, you know, they find these two bolts of material and, and that are noisy. And finally, you know, the way it just gets the best of her. She has to say, why would you want several yards of this noisy material? And so then the gal's answer, it demonstrates the depth of her love. She said, well, my fiancé is blind. When I walk down the aisle, I want him to know right when I've arrived so he's not going to be embarrassed. I tell you, love always, that's a true story. Love always finds a way to meet needs, doesn't it? Always, some of you wiping tears away. Is this, <laughs> I made that whole thing up. But anyway, <laughs> no, not, not really. <laughs> it's supposedly true, I don't know. But it, it illustrates a point is what it does, Right? So, you know, you could put the Kleenex away. I, I really don't know if it's true or not. It's an illustration is what it is. It's good to know God's Word, but it's a whole lot better to practice it. That's the point. Good to know it, even better to practice it. A husband and his wife were discussing with a lot of excitement about this trip they were going to take to the Holy Land. The husband said to his wife, he said, wouldn't it be fantastic to go to the Holy Land and just stand on top of Mount Sinai and just shout out the Ten Commandments? She said, yeah, that'd be great. You know what would be even better? If you just stay home and obey them. 
Now, wives always have a way of kind of cutting right to the chase, don't they, men? They, you know, sometimes they can just burst your bubble. But let's talk just a little bit about the difference between law and grace. The law was given to try to keep sin in check, so to speak. To enforce good behavior since nobody really seems to be motivated to just do good all on their own accord. Therefore, with the law came some very, very stiff punishments. You know, little things like stoning to death, cutting off various uh, offending appendages on your body, just cut them off, poking your eyes out, having your head cut off, that sort of thing. I tell you, there was only like four or five sentences that were doled out. I'm sure it really simplified the overall justice system. Made it very simple. But this morning, I'd like us to take a vote. Who would prefer that we go back to that old system of justice? Nobody. Wow, not one hand. Not one hand. That's good. My guess is if we were still under the old law, many of you wouldn't even been able to vote right now because maybe you'd be missing a hand. How many in your life have ever got caught stealing something? See, you'd have no hand to raise right then. Hit, off, gone. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Man, so thankful for God's grace. I was, I'll tell you a personal story. When I was about, I think I was in like third grade. And uh, how many of you have ever stolen? Let me see your hand. How many of you ever stolen something in your life? Well, I was in third grade and my mom, she, you know, I was mom's little baby. And she loved me. She thought I was perfect. And it was on a cold, wintry day because we had big, heavy coats on. This was in the little town I grew up, Morton, Illinois. And she had to go into the Western Auto store. Anybody remember Western Autos? And so I go into the Western Auto, and uh, I saw one of these balsa wood airplanes that you put together, and you know, but it wasn't just the cheap one. It was the one with the propeller and the rubber band. This was the good one, you know? It was like $1.29 or something back then. And so I got that, and I went over to my mom and said, Hey, Mom, can, can I get, would you get this for me? Because she rarely said no, you know, so I just said, she'll get it. And she said, no, not today. Did you just, you said no? And I said, oh, Mom, come on, I really want it. Would you, would you say, no, no, we're not going to get that today. Well, I couldn't believe it. I wanted this thing, and I was going to have it. And so that balsa wood airplane, I kind of went like I'm putting it away, and put it up under that big old heavy coat. I mean, like the third grade. And out of Western Auto, we went. Now, we live in a town where everybody knows everybody. As soon as we got out the door, I don't remember his name. The manager of the Western Auto comes out and says, Miss Roberts says, uh, I hate to tell you this. I think your son just took something. I beg your pardon? You're accusing, you, what? He said, yeah, I think I'd like him to unzip his coat. Unzip, my, my son, you know, and she's defending me. And the more she defends me, I mean, I'm just going, oh, my goodness. And she said, Doug, you unzip your coat, unzip your coat, because she's going to prove that the guy's nuts, right? And I unzip my coat, and that balsa wood airplane hits the floor. And she takes me home. And once again, that's about all I remember. <laughs> it, things get a little foggy after that. I mean, the look 
the look on her face was way worse than any spanking. Although I was very unsuccessful in convincing her of that. I'll tell you that, right? That didn't work. But man, just the look on her face when she saw that her little angel had stolen something. Man, it was crushing. The nature of sin on the human race is such that without laws and rules and some order, mankind, we would have destroyed ourselves a long time ago. In fact, I think it's very plain to see that we, we certainly do need some laws in place to keep sinful man in check, so to speak, but people still go beyond the boundaries of laws, don't they? That's why it is so incredibly dangerous for a nation to start proclaiming that, well, everything is normal or permissible. You know, there, there's no absolute right or wrong, which is where we're getting today. Then chaos takes over. Everything becomes acceptable in the name of individual freedom. Aren't you sick of hearing about that? You know, and, and before long, this overexpression of freedom or political correctness, it, it begins to destroy everything of value in our lives. Because everything's okay. I mean, what's okay to you may not be okay to him and vice versa, and we just all have to accept each other. Boy, does that get dangerous when society gets to that point. Even in a fallen world like we live, laws still play a very important role in, in trying to help keep sinful man from the, you know, just absolute full expression of his sin. This is why in heaven there are no laws except love. There's going to be no sinful nature trying to rule us anymore. So laws won't be necessary because we'll all operate out of a sense of love. And when we do that, we're always concerned about others more than ourselves. Where Christ abides, love motivates greater than law because our essential nature changes. He changes our, our nature. And in Christ, we respond better to love than we do by decree or by law. Decree checks fallen nature, but love motivates the spiritual nature in us. But as long as we're here on planet Earth, as long as we're here kind of still in the flesh, sometimes that law creates a desire to break it. You ever notice that? You know, sometimes a law or a rule, it almost creates a desire in you to break it. Look at this sign. How many of you have seen a sign like that? You're walking by the, the park bench, and there's a sign. It says, caution, wet paint, do not touch. Who's ever done it? Yeah, we know who you are. You got paint still on your fingertip. <laughs> Sometimes laws in, in our human nature, the law itself creates a desire to break it. Isn't that crazy? That's the flesh rising up in us. I remember the story of the flagship hotel in Galveston. How many of you guys ever saw that? It was a cool place, this hotel that went out over the water. And it kind of looked like a big uh, steamboat, kind of. And it was built out over the water. They had this big dining room on the lower floor that had these giant glass windows. And 
these windows were getting broken by people trying to fish from the upper floors. They'd cast out with, you know, those big heavy sinkers. It wouldn't be long enough. It'd come down and, and it'd just bang in and bust out a window. And man, they, you know, they put up more signs and more signs. No fishing from the balcony. I mean, they were already up there. Finally, somebody said, hey, here's an idea. Let's take all the signs down. So they took all the signs down. There was no reference to don't try to fish from this balcony. And almost overnight, it all stopped. People had never thought of it until they saw the sign. Don't fish from the balcony. Hey, hon, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get our fish. We ought to just fish from the balcony. Isn't that crazy? That's a true story. Stopped almost overnight. The people who are most likely to obey the laws of the land are those who are motivated by inward love, which inward love is only found in Jesus. That's why government rehabilitation programs have a very lousy success rate. They're mostly dealing with people from broken lives who are not motivated by love. They're motivated by fear or hatred or sorrow. Secular drug and alcohol uh, rehab programs have a 12% success rate. In other words, people who graduate out of their rehab program, only 12% stay clean. As compared to Christian drug and rehabilitation programs, such as Teen Challenge is the largest one in the world, people who stick in the program and actually graduate from the program, it's a 70% success rate. Nobody's perfect, but 70%, man, you can tell there's a huge difference between 12%, and the difference is the God factor, the love factor. That's the difference from 12 to 70%. The love of Christ is really the only thing that radically changes uh, someone's life and motivates them to do good things because God is good. Law that kind of works on enforcement, which has some limited benefits for society, but it's never going to do what God's grace will do. Laws might help keep some things in checks, but there's a lot of limits as to what laws can do. We have had laws on the books forever that law says we can't kill or murder someone. It doesn't stop everyone, has it? It happens every day. We need something better than just laws if we're going to see the world radically changed. We need a spiritual revival to do that. And where does that start? It starts in your, your own heart, in your own life. With every great spiritual revival in history came a renewed society. With every great spiritual revival, society changed. Here was my experience. You remember the Pensacola uh, outpouring the Pensacola Revival, that was in the 90s. Myself and a few other pastors, we hopped in a van and we went to the Pensacola Revival. We had to see what is going on here. And I'll tell you, this church, Brownsville church, Assembly of God, this church, a great, fantastic church, but it was in a lousy part of town. I mean, it was a pretty scary part of town. And the couple of miles on DeSoto Avenue that took you to this church, it was bars, it was strip clubs. I mean, it was something. But we noticed driving in that a lot of these places were boarded up and had closed down. And it was because a lot of the people that worked in those places had gone to the Pensacola Revival, gotten saved, and now those places were closed down. 
God's power, God's love changes society a lot more than rules and laws do. Those people were motivated by God's love to live within the law. The golden rule as Jesus presents it, it seeks to encourage excellence, not simply containment. It doesn't just state the problem we have in our life, it fixes the problem, if we'll do it. You know, someone, I don't know whose illustration this is, but I, I think it's fantastic. They said a law is like a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? Carpenters use it to hang a little weight on a string, like to see if something is, that plumb line's always going to hang completely straight. And so they use a plumb line to kind of see if a wall is crooked or not. Now the plumb line can't fix the crooked wall. That takes a carpenter. Does anybody see where I'm going with this? God's old law was kind of designed that way. It was intended to show man that, hey, something's crooked. Something's out of plumb here. But God sent a carpenter to us to fix, the, to, to fix our crooked ways, right? How did he do that? He did that by dying on a cross for our sins so that those who accept Christ are given this new law, this law of love and grace to motivate us to do good. That's the essence of the golden rule. It's a demonstration of the grace of God in our lives to other people. This is the meaning of the golden rule, giving grace instead of law. That's exactly what we ourselves want usually, right? We want grace rather than law. And the thing we have to notice it, it doesn't say, say unto others, because lip service comes pretty cheap, right? I think it's important that he worded that, do unto others. There's no substitute for action in our life when it comes to living in God's grace. Don't just say unto others, it's what we do unto others. God calls each of us to minister His grace to others in what? In everything we do. Is it always easy? No, a lot of times it is tough. I battle it every day when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Sometimes I do good, sometimes not so good. I'm not perfect yet. Do we have any perfect people here yet? You just, you just never blow it, you know? You just... Someone cuts you off and you say something other than, well, look what that person has just done to me. God bless their punkin' little hearts. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we fail, right? God calls us to minister His grace to others in everything we do. When people experience God's grace working in you, it's going to impact their life. If they don't see it operating in you, you have absolutely no effect, any positive effect. You may be having a negative effect, but you have no positive effect in their life. So the question is this, and I close with this question, something for you to mull over. Do people see God's grace operating in you? Do they literally, physically see God's grace operating in you? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. 
This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.